This is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. Swing and a drive! Deep left! Ah! That was as hard as a baseball can be hit. Swing and a base hit to left, and the White Sox win it! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good afternoon and welcome in to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight and you can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday flex pack. Purchase six vouchers starting at $49 or upgrade to 10 vouchers starting at only $70. This upgrade offer is $100 off the regular price and only available through the holidays. So learn more at whitesox.com slash holiday packs. Speaking of the holidays, hope everybody had a wonderful, happy and safe Thanksgiving a little under the weather at the McKnight household. Not all of us, most of us. Okay, just me. Uh, but hopefully we're able to work through the hour-long show this afternoon. A lot to talk about in, in White Sox land. A lot of things going on, some players added, some rumors out there, and we're going to get to it all. Uh, as you've likely seen, oh, and we're going to hear from some of the newest White Sox. We've got some uh, press conference sound from both Nicky Lopez and Mike Soroka Two of the players brought to the White Sox in the Aaron Bummer trade last week. Soroka, starting pitcher, a guy who's probably targeted for the um, for the rotation come opening day. And Nicky Lopez, whose role, well, we'll talk about quite a bit here on the show because uh, the middle infield is of conversation for the White Sox over the last week. And I think definitely into the winter meetings in just a little while as well. In case you missed it, which I doubt you did... It is reported that the White Sox are now at least set with what could be a starting middle infield. With the trade of the, with the Braves, Nicky Lopez coming over, you've definitely got a guy in Lopez that can be a starter at second base. The White Sox have reportedly signed former Cardinals shortstop. He's played for a couple of different teams. Paul DeYoung has, uh, but I would... Guess that you mostly remember him with the Cardinals. Broke in with St. Louis in 2017. Uh, played for the Cardinals all the way up through the most of the 2022, uh, pardon, 2023 season. Uh, the Blue Jays and Giants last year as well. Uh, some home run pop, but not a lot of contact for DeYoung, who finished second in Rookie of the Year voting in 2017. Uh, and then it kind of struggled to stay solid with the bat. Some injuries had gotten the better of him as well in some of those early seasons, uh, but in that Rookie of the Year, second runner-up Rookie of the Year season, uh, he finished second to Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers, a team that we'll talk about a little bit here as well. So Paul DeYoung has reportedly signed a deal with the White Sox. It's not been announced yet, and given most of the reporting around the contract and the player and the team, it kind of sounds like the holiday weekend is the reason that that deal hasn't been completely filled out yet. You know, the T's crossed and the lowercase J's dotted. However, although Paul DeYoung is a capital J, just you know, for your record-keeping purposes. However, you would figure that that's going to get done after the uh, holiday weekend, and, and roster moves going to have to be made there as well. The 40-man roster with the trade of Aaron Bummer to the Braves for five players, and you know, you're subtracting one but adding four. Four of those five players were added to the White Sox 40-man roster, so it's packed. It's at 40. In order to make room for Paul DeYoung, somebody is going to have to be removed from that 40-man roster. We'll talk about that in just a little bit as well. And we'll talk more about Paul DeYoung, too. But just to kind of round out the big news items 
for the White Sox here. The other big thing on the burner, and what we'll talk about here in the first segment of the show before talking a bit more about the middle infield later on, is that there are rumors abounding that the Sox and Dodgers have been talking about a potential deal for starter Dylan Cease. Now this one, you know, it hurts a little bit. Obviously saying goodbye to Tim Anderson and then the subsequent trade of Aaron Bummer are, you know, emotional blows, I I think. Obviously Anderson a bit more so than Bummer. Not that Bummer didn't have some good production for the White Sox and uh, didn't have a lot of fans, Um, but Anderson was a starting shortstop for years. You know, a guy that was at the center of the team, the straw that stirred the drink in terms of the offense when he was really going uh, and winning batting titles. Cease, though, I mean, he represents so much about the White Sox over the last couple of years. Finished runner-up in Cy Young voting in 2022 to Justin Verlander. You know the guy's resume. Um, But I think Dylan, as much as anything else, is a testament to the White Sox player development. It's been tough for the ball club to get as many guys as they could to their top tier of performance level. And at, at least for Dylan in 2022, that seemed achieved by both player and organization. So it was really something that, you know, the team could kind of hang their hat on, that Dylan could kind of hang his hat on. But USA Today's Bob Nightingale has been reporting over the last couple of days that uh, Cease has been the topic of conversation between the Dodgers and White Sox. Nightingale was on Chuck Garfine's podcast over the holiday weekend, um, and, and those two talked a, a lot. It's a, it's a quality podcast. I highly recommend downloading it. Chuck's a guest on this podcast every once in a while, and every now and again I get the guest on his. Either way, um, what they talked about was the fact that there are a handful of teams interested in Dylan Cease and trading for Dylan Cease. So let's kind of outline this a little bit. First and foremost, what's the marketplace look like? Now, obviously, the Dodgers, if you watched the postseason this past year, they struggled some when it came to finding healthy starting pitching to start games in that postseason. And it's as big a reason as any that the Dodgers were bounced early, or at least earlier than they'd like, of course, from the tournament. Cease, at the very least, last year wasn't the year that Dylan Cease and the White Sox wanted him to have, but he made 30-plus starts in three straight seasons these last three years. So that's a guy who can take the ball every fifth day. Now, I think Dylan's more than a guy that you'd just say, oh, he can take the ball every fifth day. You know, I think he's a lot more than that. I would bet on a big bounce back for Dylan Cease in 2024, whether he's with the White Sox to start that, that season or, or with somebody else. It would absolutely be a guy betting on Dylan Cease to bounce back. Now, what what has been largely reported as well in connection with with the Dylan Cease trade rumors is that, you know, Chris Getz has said he's open for business. The White Sox are open to trades for just about anybody. He's said anybody. I I think the the industry has kind of said, well, yeah, anybody but Luis Robert Jr. And then there have been other shades of reporting that would say, you know, yes, if Luis Robert Jr. were on the block, the offer would have to be absolutely astronomical in order for the White Sox to get uh, to get moving on Luis Robert Jr., a guy who could be in the AL MVP conversation next year, a guy who won a silver slugger, has won a gold glove, and made his first all-star team last year. And I think that's the right place to be on Luis Robert Jr., right? You've got to get absolutely everything, right? I mean, somebody's system, or at least half of it, for Luis Robert Jr. if you're going to make that move. With Cease, the timeline is the thing, I think, that is that is kicking these rumors into overdrive here. 
There are two years of control left for the White Sox in regards to Dylan Cease. And then he goes to free agency. RB year two in 2024, RB year three in 2025, and then free agency. Now, for Dylan, what's important here, too, is that is kind of the age factor of things, right? Dylan Cease, although, you know, he feels like he's been with the White Sox forever, and I guess in a way he has, right now, 27 years old. He'll turn 28 uh, just after Christmas this year. So a free agent at 30 and a chance to really cash in on a big-time contract. We have seen some big numbers awarded to starting pitchers in that 30-year age range. You know, the 30-31, it, it doesn't seem to scare teams the way that it did in the past. You'll still see, I would guess... Something like a five-year, assuming Dylan continues to pitch the way he has, even relatively, split the difference between 22 and 23, and Dylan is still, production-wise, and Dylan is still a guy that's probably going to get a five-year, you know, $25 million deal, $25 million annual average annual value, uh, probably with some options on the back end if he just continues to pitch in the middle of the 22 and 23 seasons. And shoot, he could put up a lot of seasons more like 22 than 23 in the future here as well. So that's something to consider. But what is notable right now for Dylan Cease, maybe the most notable thing, is he's not getting paid that amount of money right now from the White Sox here in his arbitration-eligible years. He's cheap. And when you look at the free agent marketplace, we've talked a lot about this, there aren't impact bats outside of Shohei Otani, and Cody Bellinger. There are other guys that can help, you know, but not a ton. The free agent market just isn't like that in terms of offense. So if you're a team that's, you know, looking to add in, in any place, really, those bats aren't there to sign. And if you're a team that's looking to add starting pitching, which most of them are, I mean, you look at the contenders, the big-time teams that didn't win the World Series this last year. I'm thinking about the Dodgers. I'm thinking about the Orioles. I'm thinking about, to a certain degree, the Atlanta Braves, which the White Sox have already done business with this offseason. Starting pitching is where they could make their most impact. Now, if you further take a look at some things, you know, whether it's some payroll situations for the Dodgers, which has some, uh, you know, some troubling things in it with Julio Urias being... Um, on the restricted list right now, I believe, given the domestic violence issues and allegations that he's facing, when you look at the Orioles, a team that has not uh, spent a ton of money over the last two years, despite the fact that the roster seems ready for an outlay of cash and an influx of talent in that way, you, the White Sox, have Dylan Cease, a, a wanted commodity, for not all that much money and potentially a big-time return production-wise. So... I would guess that if the White Sox, and I have no reason to doubt Bob Nightingale's reporting, if the White Sox and Dodgers are kind of down the road on a trade conversation for Dylan Cease, that they've not matched up in terms of value yet. And what could help set that value for Dylan Cease in terms of prospect return are a few more free agents, free agent pitchers, signing some deals. Aaron Nola signed a large contract to stay with the Philadelphia Phillies uh, over the last week or so, or at least since we last talked here on White Sox Weekly. And you could see a couple more starting pitchers uh, ink a few deals that might set the marketplace a little bit for Dylan Cease as well. I would guess, and Nightingale characterized it this way on the uh, NBC Sports podcast as well, I would guess there's not a whole lot of urgency 
for the White Sox to move Dylan Cease if indeed they are leaning that way. Trading him before spring training still gives you a lot of time to set that value, to make sure you're getting the return that you want. And if you if you wanted to, if that marketplace just really didn't develop the way you'd like, you could wait until after the All-Star break to make that move. That comes with risk, obviously. You know, just, just injury risk as much as anything else. While Dylan has made 30-plus starts in each of the last three years, every time a player goes out there, there's there's a chance to get hurt and not be available in that trade. Uh, on the other side of things, you know, I, I think more and more over the last five, ten years, teams are starting to realize that, you know, that value doesn't get increased as the demand increases when you get closer and closer to the deadline. It just it hasn't quite worked that way. What teams are more interested in trading for are the starts that a player can give you, whether it's a starting pitcher or a position player. And and in that math Moving Dylan Cease before the season would obviously give that next team, whoever the trading partner might be, more Dylan Cease starts. And after all, that's what you want if you're interested in trading for Cease. Now, the other side of things, Dylan's a dynamic guy to watch pitch. And sure, the walks can be an issue. Have been for the White Sox starting pitchers for a while now. And it's something that Chris Getz has talked about wanting to attack and fix And it seems like he's off to that start, having acquired some of the starters that he has in Soroka and Jared Schuster of the Braves. They're more strike throwers than strikeout getters. Not that you can't be both, but the guys that are are toward the top tier of Major League Baseball. Cease was a strike getter in 22 while walking a lot. The stuff is there, even though it took a bit of a step back in last season. And I think, you know, like we've talked about, he's a guy that many teams would bet on bouncing back. I would think a lot of pitching coaches are looking at Dylan Cease. You know, if they're in conversation with the uh, with the front office, hey, we're thinking about trading for Dylan Cease. What do you think you could do You get your hands on him? Oh, my goodness, I'd love to have Dylan Cease in the room. That'd be great. Here's a couple of quick fixes. Worst-case scenario, tell him to throw the slider every time, and he's going to get strikeouts and work around. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just – I would think every pitching coach in baseball has a feeling a lot like that when it comes to Dylan Cease. What is, what is kind of tough here, though – is as the White Sox have reshaped the roster here over the last couple of weeks, the trade of Aaron Bummer, the reported signing of Paul DeYoung, all that kind of stuff, it looks like this is now kind of, and a lot of people have used this term, so I'm hopping on, a bridge to 2025. And I think you can make the argument, it's a bit of a tougher needle to thread, but I think you can make the argument that Dylan Cease can be part of a contending push team in 2025, but... Like we talked about, that'd be his last season of team control. And whether or not you're ready to sit down and put together an extension for Cease in this moment or in 2025 kind of begins to inform a decision on exactly where the White Sox want to be in 25 roster-wise. Is that signing Dylan Cease to a big-time deal, or is that having whatever players— the Sox could get in return, you would imagine, under more control and just having more to work with. I think that's kind of the argument there, the the, the wrestling match there between having Dylan Cease or trading Dylan Cease. 
and it comes with some emotional ties as well. We'll talk about those when we come back. We're going to hear from Mike Soroka and from Nikki Lopez, two of the newest White Sox as well, and we'll talk about the reported newest White Sox. Paul DeYoung has reportedly signed a contract with the Sox. We'll talk about what that means, where he's expected to play, and how the roster has to change when they sign him. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans 2024 ticket plans are available now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as a ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. Welcome back. We were talking about the uh, the trade rumors around Dylan Cease, Bob Nightingale of USA Today says the Dodgers and White Sox have been in conversations about Dylan Cease and that there are other teams likely interested in Dylan as well should the White Sox end up trading him. It's been an offseason of change for the White Sox here in 2023, heading into the 2024 season. And maybe no place, I mean so far, no place exemplifies that more than the middle infield. The White Sox declined the option on Tim Anderson uh, just shortly after the World Series and have reportedly signed Paul DeYoung to a contract. Now, no word exactly on, on what that contract looks like yet. The Sox have yet to announce it. And like I said in the open, it sounds like the holiday weekend is kind of the reason that the White Sox have not uh, or, or that the, the terms of a contract haven't come out, uh, either be reporting or, or through, a, uh, through a release for the White Sox. So without that little piece of information, let's talk about the move specifically. DeYoung has struggled with the bat over the last three, four seasons or so. It's unfortunate because the guy actually drew a lot of comparisons, drew rather a lot of comparisons to Tim Anderson in his 2017 season. It was his rookie year. He played really well. Uh, The glove was good and, and has been good for almost all of his career. Baseball Savant does a couple of different, or rates rather, uh, infielders and outfielders, defensive metrics uh, on a couple of different ways. And his fielding run value was 7 last year. That's in the 84th percentile. His outs above average was in the 94th percentile. Nine outs above average. He is a very good glove guy at shortstop. And when you look back through the the quotes, I mean, really just the stuff we've played you here on White Sox Weekly over the last couple of months, whether it be from manager Pedro Grafal or the new general manager Chris Getz, the White Sox have talked pretty obviously, pretty specifically about getting better on defense. They think, and have said it pretty clearly, that getting better on defense immediately is a good way to get a much better team on the field in 2024 than we saw in 2023. Defense has been an issue for the White Sox. Even when they were rolling high in 2021, defensively, uh, there were still some issues 
for the Sox, whether that be in the corner outfield spots, whether that be at shortstop, depending on how Tim Anderson was playing, uh, whether that be behind the plate, or whether that be, you know, at uh, at second or first. Yeah, these were these were issues and situations that the White Sox have been looking to shore up here, and at the very least, now with Paul DeYoung likely at short, Nicky Lopez perhaps at second, though there could be others. You've got two guys who defensively know how to handle their positions. Now, we're going to play you a little bit from Nicky Lopez and from Mike Soroka later on in the show. But just to tease it out a little bit, Lopez is, is a good defender at short, at second, and can play a little third. He's played a little corner outfield stuff as well as Lopez, but I, I would figure he stays on the dirt for the White Sox, at least in most situations. But having a guy that has that kind of versatility and familiarity with the manager, Pedro Grafal, can be a very good thing from a defensive flexibility standpoint. What is interesting here is the timing, I think, of both the trade of Aaron Bummer to the Braves that brought the White Sox, Nicky Lopez, and others, and also the reported signing of Paul DeYoung, and the trade rumors around Dylan Cease that we spent a lot of the first segment of the show talking about. Follow me here. It is possible, and probably likely, that at the GM meetings, which were cut short by the whole norovirus thing, Chris Getz and a lot of other teams were talking about, obviously, the trade of Aaron Bummer to the Braves, but also probably about Dylan Cease. Getz came out of those GM meetings, abbreviated though they were, saying that he let the the league know that, that they're, they're open for business. The White Sox are moving players if the right deals are there to be had. And Dylan Cease doesn't seem to be an exception to that. His name is in trade rumors right now. So you would figure that that would be the first order of business. That gets a little tricky in the offseason, kind of assigning priority to the schedule, to the timeline. It may well be, I mean, shoot, if the White Sox have on their big board of things to do this winter, this offseason, trading Dylan Cease for pieces that can help us in the future, I can't think of many other moves that would be more important to get right. However, you only get to dictate half of that equation. You only get to dictate the, the who you want to trade with and what you're willing to accept back for Dylan Cease. You don't get to control what other teams are willing to offer you for Dylan Cease, or, or any player for that matter. We're just using Dylan Cease in a specific here because, obviously, he's the White Sox right now and he's in trade rumors right now, too. So as you wait for teams to line up with you in terms of what you want or convince them that your Dylan Cease is worth a little bit more or that you're not willing to settle for the things they're giving you or whatever – You've got to kind of set the rest, right? You have to work in tandem. You can't just work on one thing, wait until it's done, and then move on to the next. You've got to be multifaceted. So the White Sox have set their middle infield with Paul DeYoung, reportedly, and maybe Nicky Lopez. I think you could get deeper there. I'd love to see a White Sox, at least from an, a team that offensively, at least, has Nicky Lopez as more of a utility guy than uh, a, a everyday starting second baseman. It, it, if Paul DeYoung is added to this roster, which I, every every everything says he is, you know, local guy from Illinois State, uh, went to Antioch Community High School. The reports are there, the connections are there, the whole thing. Um, you would figure he's your opening day shortstop, keeping that place at least you know pretty warm. For Colson Montgomery, whenever he's ready, Montgomery hasn't played above Double A, so there's some seasoning left for Montgomery. You would think. I would also guess 
that Paul DeYoung, though he's not played much other than shortstop in his major league career, has you know had a conversation or two about widening his defensive spectrum. He's played second a little. I think it's like 20-something games at second base over seven seasons, but you know the rest of it, 700 games or so at shortstop. But you would figure that, you know, Paul, can you play a little second base? Can you play a little third base? The White Sox have Yohan Moncada at third, at least for now, but he has been oft injured and, and is dealing with that um, the herniated disc in his back that caused him to miss a lot of time last season. And, and really, even when he was on the field, there were questions at times about whether or not that back was was healthy enough to do damage or whether he was just kind of having to manage that while staying on the field and starting for the Sox. So can you play third pace, Paul DeYoung? You know, what, what is it that you can do um, in terms of the infield defensively in order to provide value for this team and also perhaps play another spot when and if, if and when, rather, Colson Montgomery comes up to the big league roster. So as this connects to Cease, though, it's fair to wonder, and I've heard this wondered in a couple of places, whether or not the conversations around Cease were enough for the White Sox to kind of understand what the price would be, what what teams would be willing to give back for Cease in a trade. Because, listen... The defensive spectrum, you know, sits this way. Shortstop is the toughest place to play. Catcher is the next toughest place to play, although that's a different ask athletically. Then center field. And then as you get farther and farther away from the middle of the diamond, things get easier and easier defensively. That's not to say that it's easy to play first or easy to play third. Just ask Ron Washington. It's incredibly hard to play first base. But, you know, in terms of a relative thing on on Major League Diamond, that's what we kind of talk about. So if you're shopping Dylan Cease... I know you've got Colson Montgomery, and you've got Brian Ramos in the system as well. He'll play third or maybe second base, something like that. Sox looking for a position for him. That doesn't mean you can't stop asking for shortstops. There is no team in Major League Baseball that feels, wow, boy, we got a problem. we got too many shortstops here, too many good shortstops in the system. What do we? You find places for them. Look at the Cincinnati Reds. They got Matt McLean. Uh, they got Ellie De La Cruz. They got Noel V. Marte that they got from the Mariners in the Luis Castillo trade. I mean, they're just loaded at short. They're not crying about having too many shortstops. They're just fine. Thank you very much. Those guys will find positions to play because they're athletic freaks, good enough to play shortstop at a major league level. That's where you want to start shopping. At least I would think that's what you want to start asking for are those kinds of position players that can make a difference up the middle for you. To say nothing else of the fact that, listen, not all prospects hit, you know that. But Colson Montgomery is a six foot four shortstop that's had a back issue already last season, had a lot of errors, and most of that has been attributed to the back issue and getting back into play. But there aren't a lot of six four guys who end up sticking at shortstop for the long term. Yeah, there are some, no doubt about it. But for every Corey Seager that gets comped to Colson Montgomery, there are plenty of guys that move over to third base or or maybe even first a little bit or find an outfield spot to be a little bit more comfortable. So, you know, that that's absolutely got to be on your radar. And, and no player, regardless of his level of prospect caliber, is enough, you know, if he's not played at the major league level, is enough to get you to think, okay, well, we don't, we're set on a shortstop. You know, we, we've got our guy there. Yeah, you want to add more. You want to, you want to at least, you know, add challenges to a player like that. Make sure you got the right guy that you want. So, 
If the White Sox were shopping Dylan Cease, and if they found out that the price or that the uh, that, that other teams are not willing to give up those types of players and are looking for guys a little bit farther toward the corners, outfielders, uh, third base, first base, you know, that kind of thing. And obviously you'd want to get some pitching back for Dylan Cease. You would not be making a one-for-one deal here, Cease, for one other guy. I'd be stunned. You're looking for bulk. You're looking for uh, to multiply, as Chris Getz has put it. Then maybe that's why... The White Sox were as willing as uh, and ready as they were to sign Paul DeYoung. Uh, and again, that should probably be official sooner rather than later here. Maybe that's where you get yourself set. Maybe you do end up ter- turning some things around and, and getting that kind of uh, up-the-middle player in a Dylan C. deal eventually. It doesn't mean you know that because you've signed Paul DeYoung or because you have Colson Montgomery or whatever that you can't add quality players at those types of positions, that depth, regardless, depth is how you win in Major League Baseball. I'm more and more convinced of it every day that passes. Depth is how you win. Uh, in order to do that, you've got to acquire the number of players to give you that kind of depth to, so that you can test those kinds of things. So just you know, some things I've been thinking about as the White Sox sign Paul DeYoung, as Dylan Cease is out there in some trade rumors, uh, and of course, as you got the one for five, the bummer for five different Atlanta Braves, uh, earlier this last week, something we talked about a lot on last week's show. However, there's more. Nikki Lopez and Mike Soroka both talked to reporters earlier this week. Two of the newest White Sox said some things about coming over to the South Side, how excited they are to do it. And Nikki Lopez's whole story about finding out how he got traded. The guy was getting married. I mean, literally getting married and finding out that he was getting traded. We'll play some of that for you when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. Weekly, ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Stay out of the elements in 2024. Located on the 200 level behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club offers all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and complimentary parking. Plans start at 20 games. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got some fresh sound for you from two of the newest White Sox. Coming over to the Sox from the Braves, Nicky Lopez and Mike Soroka, two of five players acquired by Chris Getz in a trade for Aaron Bummer last week. We talked about it on the show quite a bit, but now Lopez and Soroka have had their media availabilities, talked a lot about what this trade means, how they found out about the trade, and kind of the expectations that have been already set for these two players. Talked a lot about the trade rumors and the uh, the new infield for the White Sox with Paul DeYoung reportedly being signed. So let's start with Lopez, the guy that will likely be a double play partner, if not the double play partner for Paul DeYoung. Uh, and what's crazy here is, at this point, you know Lopez has ties, so many ties, to Chicago, to the White Sox. Grew up a White Sox fan. He was at Game 2 of the World Series in 2005. Saw the homers. Saw Pauly do his thing. Saw Scotty Pods do his thing. The whole thing. However, what you may not have known, or at least what I hope you didn't, and you're finding out right now, is that Nicky Lopez was getting married when he found out 
he was being traded. I mean, like, rehearsal dinner, finds out he's getting traded, married the next day, on the phone with Kritz gets the day after finding out exactly, you know, where he's got to go, how he's got to report, and that he's going to play second base and third base and shortstop and the whole thing. I, it, it's a wild story. Absolutely crazy. I, I was married recently myself and cannot imagine this kind of upheaval going on during the days, like on the weekend of, not like, oh, two weeks before I got married or right after I got married, like on that weekend. He finds out that it's all going down. Here's Nikki Lopez about how he found out, when he found out, and then, you know, getting married, finding out he got traded to the team he grew up rooting for. Yeah, so all this was going down when uh, when I was getting married. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, so I got married last week. Um, Thursday, I got the call that I was getting traded while we were at our uh, rehearsal dinner, welcome dinner, and then... Um, you know, then obviously Friday I got married, so it was uh, it was definitely a whirlwind and uh, great timing, right? <laughs> what was that? What was that like? I mean, when you're going through a whole, you know, the whole marriage experience, and then suddenly, I mean, I, I don't know if you had an idea that you might have, you know, you might have been on the the trade block, and then I guess the follow up to that is, what does it mean to be part of the White Sox now? Yeah, so it was. Um, did I think I was going to get traded? Um, no, but I know I knew the tender date was was you know fell right when you know we were getting married and. Um, actually our ceremony was at th- uh, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and the t- I think the tender day was like 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time so uh, we were getting married in, Ran- in uh, Rancho Mirage, California and so I was like oh, well if I was to get traded it's going to be probably right around when <laughs> you know I'm getting married and so um, on Thursday I got a call from uh, Alex uh, the GM for the Braves and um, they said yeah you're you're getting traded uh and I wasn't sure at first where, but then he said the Chicago White Sox, and I was just like, I mean, if I was to go somewhere, um, why not go home? So this is uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it's it's been unbelievable. I grew up watching um, the White Sox. I remember going to the uh, the World Series um, game two of the World Series when Canerco tied it up, um, you know, hitting that home run right in front of us, actually in the bullpen, and then Scotty Pods hit the uh, the walk off. So I remember all of it. Um, and it's kind of uh, kind of full circle, which is really cool. That's some crazy stuff. And you got to have, I mean, first of all, your wife's got to be on board with the whole thing. I mean, I, I don't know how you, whew, this life is crazy enough anyway. You got to have a very supportive family, and it, I'm certain it helps that Nikki Lopez is uh, is heading back home. Went to Creighton for college, but went to Naperville Central for high school. Uh, knows plenty of people in the White Sox organization already, uh, whether that be Mike Mazza in the ticket office or what. Ha- I mean, like, listen, this guy is is well connected to the area, and I hope will be a fan favorite coming up here in 2024. He's had a 300 batting average season. He can get the bat to the baseball. Offensively, it's been a little bit of a struggle for him uh, over the last little bit. But still cool. In May of 2019, he made his debut as a Royal against the White Sox at Guaranteed Rate Field. He was uh, 0 for 4 in a suspended game. That was May 27th. Did get two hits in a May 29th game. He was 2 for 5 at Guaranteed Rate Field. But he talked about his uh, his Guaranteed Rate Field debut, his Southside debut, and, and just how it felt like he had a well, had a whole rooting section for him there because, uh, quite frankly, he did. That was unbelievable. I just remember stepping in the box. Um, you know, I don't get I don't get much um, I don't get many nerves or anything, but I, I can remember it was almost like it was my debut again. And um, stepping in the box and getting what sounded like a standing ovation. I had about 
uh, 300 to 500 people there. Thank God I didn't have to buy tickets for all of them. Um, but I had, uh, quite a few people there and, um, yeah, and I got like a loud standing ovation when I, uh, when I got to, into the box and it was, it was a dream come true. I always dreamed of playing in Chicago. Um, I always dreamed of coming home and playing in front of my uh, friends and family. And, um, and I just, I, I will never forget that day. And it was, it was pretty special. And then, you know, with Lopez, there comes a lot of defensive versatility. He's, He's quite solid. Second base, short, third. He's played first. I think that was an emergency last year with the Royals. Uh, played a little outfield as well. And with the Braves, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that the Braves added knowing that they had some injury situations with their middle infielders um, and, and just really some questions about who they were going to play at short going into the playoffs. And Lopez was added to perhaps get a crack at that. Um, he was, uh, you know, not a huge part of their playoff run. However, was a guy that saw that playoff experience, uh, saw what that run looks like, saw what that team looks like, that organization kind of feels like. And that's a valuable thing, I, I think, for a veteran now, Nicky Lopez, 28 years old, going on 29 here in the 2024 season. He'll turn 29 in March, March 13th. So, you know, middle of spring training, something like that. And with that veteran status, comes an understanding that the more spots you play in defensively, the more valuable you can be to a team. Lopez was told almost exactly that by Chris Getz. Here's how Lopez kind of talked about the conversation between him and the general manager. One thing I do hang my hat on is being being versatile and playing, you know, gold glove defense, uh, gold glove caliber defense, whether it's at short, second, third, um, played a little bit of the outfield as well. So to be able to, you know, hang my hat on that and know that I can go and, and, and fill a, a spot wherever they need me. Um, is something I take a lot of pride in. Um, as far as did they tell me where, where I'll be, you know, playing? Um, no, but I do think that being able to go from short and bounce around to second and go to third, um, I think is very valuable on a team and, um, especially a winning team. So let's, you know, let's see what, where, where it goes, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. So it's it's obviously yet to be seen whether the White Sox are done adding players in the middle infield. I think I talked earlier in the show about wanting, hoping that the White Sox are going to add a guy that's um, either got immediate impact, you know, ready to play big league baseball, or or just a little bit away, maybe some AAA seasoning away from stepping into a role in the middle infield, whether that be short or second. And being able to kind of displace, I mean, that's the nature of the business, right? Displace one of the two guys that they've uh, signed and or traded for in Paul DeYoung and Nicky Lopez and, and push, you know, because at the core of it, you have added two guys who are more than solid defensively in DeYoung and Lopez, but both are works in progress with the bat as, as veterans at this point. So you're hoping for bounce back seasons from them at the dish. What I hope the White Sox are able to add in this offseason, whether it be trades, um, and, and I think it will be, I think it will be trades, are some guys that have a lot more upside offensively that can also handle up-the-middle defensive positions. Already in the fold are guys like uh, Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos. We've talked about them quite a bit. More is better. More is good. Mike Soroka is one of the other top names that the White Sox added in the trade with the Atlanta Braves. You figure Soroka 
when healthy, is going to be a guy in that starting rotation. Um, He has twice torn an Achilles, is friends with Jake Berger because of that unfortunate coincidence. Um, Both of them having torn an Achilles, the same Achilles two different times. Uh, Soroka now uh, pitched last year, bounced back, was able to get on the mound, talked a lot about, and you'll hear it here in the next couple of cuts, talked a lot about what that journey has been like for him, how difficult that was. Had a forearm strain at the end of last year, which he says is all set and fine now. I think he was kind of rushing a bit to get back and be a part of a playoff push for the Atlanta Braves last season, uh, coming back off the Achilles injuries and maybe pushing it just a bit too hard. But Soroka has an interesting story about how he heard about the trade himself. Here's Mike. Yeah, so I heard about the trade. Um, you know, I'd heard rumblings before. Um, you know, I had a good idea of, you know, the the possibility of me being moved. Um, but uh, it wasn't until, I guess, what was it, Friday or Thursday, Thursday night, Friday night, um, where Alex Anthopoulos called me before, uh, you know, the news broke. Um, and it was, it was nice that I got to talk to everybody before it kind of went out on social media. And, uh, you know, Alex told me and kind of laid it out as to what their plans were and, um, you know, given uh, me an opportunity to get somewhere to pitch. Um, you know, I appreciated that and I uh, appreciated the, the candid conversation on the phone with him. And then um, the one I had right after that with Chris Getz, um, you know, they stressed how, how, you know, excited they were about me and that made me feel awesome. Uh, it was a nice little boost of confidence to get somewhere that I think believes in me. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, very excited having listened to, to some of the new people that are moving into the White Sox organization. And um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting thing and I can't wait to get out there. It sounds like Soroka too kind of understood his place in the Braves organization. He was a non-tender candidate, just given the fact that they've, you know, pushed for the playoffs and, and traded to add guys and maybe have run out of roster spots for guys who are recovering from injury despite his uh, incredible 2019 um, recovering from injury and looking to to find themselves again at the big league level. Those kinds of guys, like we talk about a lot, are change of scenery candidates. And Soroka now has had that change of scenery coming over to the White Sox. He was um, pretty effusive uh, in, his, uh, in his talking about the opportunity that this is going to be for him now coming to the White Sox and getting a chance to start every fifth day. It means everything. You know, I, I think coming through the injuries like we spoke on for the last three years, um, you know, having an idea that, you know, a change of scenery might might benefit and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. But um, like I said, I, I think having listened to uh, Brian Bannister and, and a little bit of Ethan and talking to Max Freed, who was with him in high school, um, you know, how many people have done such good work uh, with these people is is pretty pretty exciting for me. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that I've learned how to do in the last year and a half to stay healthy, and part of that was some mechanical adjustments. Part of it was physical, being you know training a little differently, which you know got that under wraps with the the new uh, people that I'm working with. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a long process. You know, I think obviously I wanted things to be completely back to where I was, but in reality, where I was in 2019 was kind of what led to me getting hurt all the time. Um, you know, everything kind of was out of whack with mechanically and, uh, I got away with it because of some youth and, you know, just the ability to, to spin the, spin the breaking ball and pitch a little bit. But, um, you know, I think they see my potential and, and everybody within the organization seems to be 
wanting to extract the most out of that right now and and down the line. So, um, you know, I'm very excited to get to work and, uh, yeah, these people seem awesome. I think that's a, that's a meaningful thing, right? I mean, often in this game, we think of, I don't know, one-year deals, which essentially Soroka is on here with the White Sox, um, barring some sort of extension. You think of guys on one-year deals as kind of like hired mercenaries or, or what have you, and there's so much more humanity to this than that. I mean, sure, there are guys that sign for a year, try and get a, you know, whatever it is, but there's... With Mike Soroka and, and and all of the reporting around him, all the conversation around Soroka is that he's an exceptional clubhouse guy to just a good dude to have around in your in your roster on your roster. Um, so with Soroka, you know, kind of this uh, that that heartfelt nature that you feel in that answer there uh, really does seem to hit home. Checks out with with where he's been in his life in his baseball career. So it'll be an interesting guy to talk to as we get to spring training. An interesting guy to learn about. And I, I think, too, a guy to root for, um, whether it's anybody that covers the Braves here over the last few years, you will hear about how Braves fans have just wanted to root for Mike Soroka, getting back on the mound, getting back to where he was in 2019. He earned that from that Braves fan base, and I don't think it'll take very long for him to earn that from the White Sox fan base as well. Now, Soroka also, you know, kind of as a as a vested veteran, so to speak, albeit not with a whole lot of mileage on the arm, given the injuries to his Achilles, spoke with White Sox general manager Chris Getz about, you know, kind of the vision for this team going forward. And Soroka shared at least a part of that with White Sox reporters earlier this week. And I think you'll find it interesting here. A pretty cool vision, actually. Um, you know, I kind of got giddy on the phone with him and I spoke to Jared Schuster and it was much of the same with him. Um, you know, having a former player that that is at the helm kind of makes things a little easier from this player to GM relationship uh, as it is. And, you know, it sounds like he's looking to make a team that is out there to compete, to win uh, every day and is also ready to, to learn and do what they can to get better. Um, it sounds like everybody involved wants to see everybody hit their ceiling um, and stay out there and stay healthy. And, and the whole staff that I've talked to all seems to be on the same page. Um, and I, I think having him there is going to be a very, very good, you know, blend of the new stuff, the new analytical stuff that's all coming into baseball over the last, you know, five years or so, um, as well as the stuff that has always worked. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are quick to kick old school to the curb. And I think that's a pretty big mistake. Um, there's a lot of people in this game that have been here for a long time and seen what works. Um, and it's, it's about a blend between the two of them. So I think Chris is going to be able to do that. And, uh, I'm excited to, to play for a team that seems to understand that. So in that, you know, what you hear Soroka talking about is, is kind of echoing what gets and Grafol have talked about a lot. This off season is, is creating an environment that is, at least on the surface, remarkably different from the environment the White Sox have had over the last two, three, four seasons. You know, it was it was really quick where the White Sox turned from a developmental ball club to a team that was in the playoffs against the A's in 2020 with Ricky Renteria at the helm. And then all of a sudden, Tony La Russa there, a division championship in 2021 before things really started to fall apart in 22 and now obviously 23. But what Getz has set out to do here 
in signing guys like Paul DeYoung, who should become official soon in this big trade with the Braves, uh, big in terms of the numbers of players you're getting back, is assemble a clubhouse that can be relied on even in difficult times. I'm, I'm hoping the White Sox are able to add a few more impact players along the way here this winter, whether that be via trade or in free agency. However, when you can set that foundation in that clubhouse through the players themselves, you should have a much more reliable on-field product. And that's meaningful. That's not something we saw with the White Sox in 2023. Rick Hahn, before he was uh, relieved of his duties, Chris Getz and Pedro Grafal have all talked about how the, um, you know, the character in the clubhouse was not where they thought it was or they thought it should be given the veterans they had inside. That has largely been remade with Soroka and Nicky Lopez, uh, Paul DeYoung. I mean, all, all these guys that have been brought in and, and more that will too. So, you know, that at the very least is something the White Sox seem to be accomplishing here. And, you know, hopefully it's yet to be seen just how much that's going to impact the on-field product. But I think it could be quite a bit, especially when you pair that with the defense that the White Sox have been able to bring in here over the last couple of weeks as well. Uh, We've got a couple other former White Sox to talk about, uh, some landing spots found. We'll talk a little bit more about the free agency picture before we close things out here. I'm Connor McKnight. you got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White White Sox Sox Weekly. Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. We're closing it up here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday flex pack starting at just 49 bucks. Get six ticket vouchers redeemable for more than 60 games throughout the 2024 season. Plus, get early access to opening day tickets. Learn more at whitesox.com slash holiday packs. we got to wrap it. We're a little over. We were going to talk about Lance Lynn signing with the St. Louis Cardinals and Reynaldo Lopez getting a three-year deal for 30 mil to play for the Braves. Uh, but we played a lot of sound from the newest White Sox, Nicky Lopez and Mike Soroka, so that's going to wrap it here. We'll get to those guys and a whole lot more next week. Big thanks to Jack McGrath, our producer. I'm Connor McKnight. Check you next week for White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000.